a really quick and exciting announcement to make. The Menopause and Cancer podcast is now also on YouTube, and I'm so excited that more people now get to watch our conversations. So the link to the YouTube channel is in our show notes. Please go and subscribe to the channel so that more people who need to hear our conversations are able to find them. Thank you. Welcome to the Menopause and Cancer podcast, where we speak with cancer patients, survivors, and amazing menopause experts to help us find solutions to our symptoms and ideas to improve our health. My name is Danny Binnington, and welcome to day six of our Menopause and Cancer Crash Course. I wanted to put together this mini-series right at the beginning of a new year to really help you understand what can be in all of your menopausal toolboxes or toolkits, as many people call them, and what are all of your treatment options. And so I've packaged them up into bite-sized pieces of videos. I call them my menopause buckets. And I quite literally imagine myself walking around with big buckets in my hand. And every single day or every single week, I put my hand into different buckets. To me, this makes a multifaceted approach to managing menopause after cancer. And it is this multifaceted approach that absolutely works best. And you would have heard me talk about it many times on the podcast before. I don't think doing one thing alone is going to really change your experience of navigating menopause and life after a cancer diagnosis. Survivorship is really complex and so are our symptoms. They often don't just have one reason alone. And so when we start to tackle our experience of menopause after cancer, many different things are going to need to come together. And it is for us to try and bring those things together so that we can really give ourselves the best outcome. Go back to video one, two, three, four, five, where I talk about non-hormonal or hormonal prescribable options, where we talk about complementary therapies. Today, I want to talk about lifestyle. It's a really important bucket. And I feel we have to tap our thoughts and our actions into this lifestyle bucket every single day. In this bucket, we have diet, we have exercise, avoiding triggers, and also reducing our stress levels. And I'm going to talk about all four a little bit in a little bit more detail. Let's talk about avoiding triggers first, because sometimes by making tiny micro changes, we can make a really big impact. Let's talk about hot flushes first, for example. We know the severity and frequency of our hot flushes can be impacted by drinking alcohol, by drinking too much caffeine, by um, eating spicy foods. And depending on who you are, whether you have hot flushes or not, it's going to really depend whether you want to tap into this lifestyle bucket. If you feel your hot flushes are getting in your way of a good quality of life, then looking towards that diet change can be your first step because it's quite easy. Start to get to know yourself. This is what I talk about all the time. Your actions will have a direct impact on how you're feeling, on, on everything that is happening later. Just this week, I spoke to a lady who said, gosh, I've really changed my diet since my breast cancer diagnosis, and I'm drinking lots of lovely smoothies. But she was also telling me that her hot flushes were getting in the way of her having a good quality of life. And so we were talking a little bit more about her smoothies and she was telling me that she puts ginger and turmeric and sometimes black pepper so that the turmeric gets um, absorbed a little bit better, sometimes even chili. And I thought, wow, that's a hot flush smoothie. If you want to have an increase of hot flushes, then go for it. Ginger, 
heed the body. Just try and drink a bit of ginger tea or have a bit of hot um hot water and put a bit of sliced up ginger in. It'll warm you up from the inside. If you're struggling with hot flushes, that's probably not what you want to be doing. The same with chili. Just go and have a little explore over how are the foods you're eating or what are you drinking? How are you feeling? Are you feeling sluggish after you've eaten a meal? Sometimes I eat a meal and I could go to sleep immediately. And so it's just really starting to get more aware of what we're doing and the action and reaction that is causing for ourselves. Maybe you're going to try and reduce all of those spicy um, foods from your diet and it won't make a difference to your hot flushes. That's okay. Then we go on to the next strategy. But looking at your diet can be really, really helpful. Another example of triggers would be that a lady came to me in yoga once and she said, gosh, Danny, I've only come to yoga three times and I really have no more heartburn. And I thought, gosh, I'd love to think that this is the yoga, but of course it can't be through yoga classes. And I'm not sure how yoga would benefit heartburn. But when we talked a little bit more, this lady was saying to me that she made some other changes around her routine. So she was drinking less coffee in the morning before her 9.30 yoga class. And by reducing the amount of coffee, this has most likely had a beneficial impact on this lady's heartburn and reflux. And this was really interesting because as soon as you make a change, other things around that change as well. And sometimes it's the impact of this sort of one change after the other that is going to give you a great benefit. So just have a little think of what you're doing with your food. Has that got a beneficial impact on you? Do you feel well after you're eating? Or do you think, actually, I have noticed my hangovers are much worse my anxiety is worse after I've had a few drinks in the evening, for example. Some women say it's just even one glass of wine and they feel they can tolerate it much less than before. And those are really important things to notice. Let's go back to the smoothie example. There are lots of foods that are cooling your body. Just think of hot countries, for example. Think of um, African countries. When I went to Morocco, all of these lovely mint teas, I mean, I know they put a load of sugar into their mint teas, but all of the mint is really cooling for the body. Cucumber, watermelon, avocado, celery, with a load of cooling foods. Maybe you can make yourself a really lovely snack plate and think, has that got an impact? And maybe you think, actually, I'm just going to use all of those lovely cooling foods and see if, see if it helps. So really thinking of triggers. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. 73% of people who listen to my podcast haven't yet clicked the follow button on their podcast player. I want these conversations to reach as many women as possible who might need it. So if you've ever enjoyed this podcast, please hit the follow button now. Other triggers are stressors. So when I look at my week, I can clearly identify that on a couple of evenings, my stress levels are high. Those are the days where I've had busy days, where I have to take the kids to different places in the afternoon, evening, where I might be working, teaching a yoga class late, and where everything is just sort of colliding. On those days, I have learned to really know I'm going to prep my food for me and my family. Because if I don't, if I'm going to open the fridge door and have to think, what am I going to cook for everyone tonight? This is really just increasing my stress level so much. And so in triggers for me are also just looking at my week. And I wonder, this is the beginning of a new year. Do you know your routine? 
who lives in your house? Do you have days where you might feel more stressed or events that are reoccurring where you feel more stressed? And is there something we can do about it? Like I know I can't do much about, you know, I have to take my kids to certain clubs, for example, but I can really help myself by knowing I'm going to do jacket potatoes every Tuesday or whatever it is. And so really starting to reduce some of that additional, additional burden that then increases um, my anxiety levels or my stress levels. And and that's really also, for me, triggers, stressors are probably more important than food um, in my scenario. So have a little think about triggers and what they might be in your week. Let's move on to exercise. When it comes to exercising, I feel that the majority of people I speak to know and feel they should exercise a bit more. So there might be the 20% of people I speak to that say, yeah, yeah, I'm on top of it. I exercise so much and consistently all year long. There is nothing else I need to change or add or increase. However, the majority of people I speak to and myself included feel that we could really improve on how often we exercise or the type of exercise, or maybe some people think I haven't moved in a long time. I am so fatigued. I wouldn't even know where to start. Some people are coming out of surgery, out of radiotherapy. They're thinking, gosh, I have no idea. My doctor has signed me off, but I don't know how to embark on it. And then this is a real invitation for myself for you listening to this, of how we're going to structure this year and what can we learn from our past experiences so that we can make this structuring process a bit more informed. How do you hold yourself accountable? Some people are really brilliant about taking part in a challenge. When we did our menopause and cancer walking challenge fundraiser last autumn, it was fabulous. There were so many women walking the streets of the countries and we all tracked our progress. Some were walking up towards a big walk. They even walked a marathon, myself included. And some people decided to walk 3,000 um, steps a day or 5K a day. And they held themselves accountable because they were part of a challenge. Is that you? Is there something you would like to do? Dream it up. This is the beginning of a new year. Maybe say to your friends, hey, I'd love to walk a half marathon or run a marathon, whatever it is, or start to go hiking. Then maybe put an event into your diary and work towards it and get a group of people around you that can help you make it happen because it is so much better together. Now, some people might listen to this and think, nah, it's not for me. I'm much better off if I just go to the gym every Monday morning. Has that worked for you last year? If it has worked and you've been consistent, then of course, carry on and do it. But you might be thinking, actually, I've paid for that gym membership and I haven't been half as much as I should have gone. And so this is really, when it comes to exercise, a part where we need to reflect before we start on the new year. What's worked for you last year? what is worth repeating, and what have you got to introduce so that you can give yourself the best chance of moving. If you go back to our podcast episode about exercise, so just scroll back, it's quite a while back now, with Professor Anna Campbell, who's done all of the research in the country about the benefits of exercise whilst we're going through cancer treatment and also after cancer treatment. And we have such a significant reduction in recurrence rates, cancer recurrence rates, 
up to 30%. So actually exercise needs to be prescriptive, but it's very hard to know where to start and it can be really hard to be consistent and keep going. And also, I argue that we don't have to do it all by ourselves. There are some really amazing people who teach for free. You can access loads of charity partners and you can access many of the exercise classes. You don't have to think it all up and you don't have to know exactly what you should be doing. If you're in your 20s and 30s, for example, charity Trekstock Young run a program, an exercise rehab program with specialist trainers, and they can take you under your wings. And whatever your starting point is, you might have a stoma bag. You might have just recovered from a double mastectomy. You might still be undergoing cancer treatment. Reach out to them. Charities like Future Dreams House offer online ballet and yoga classes. Vicky Fox, for example, is an amazing yoga teacher. And all of those classes are free. I myself run a Thursday evening yoga class, which you can join online. It's at 7.45 and it's a very gentle, stretchy class, but I do challenge people along the way. And so there are so many options of accessing uh, different parts of the country, wherever you are in different exercise classes, and especially with people who know and who can really help support you once you've had a cancer diagnosis. So open up your box, get pen and paper out, make this your invitation and stop worrying about what people tell you you should be doing. If all we're going to focus on thinking we need to lift weights, you're going to discount a whole ar array of exercise classes maybe that would be amazing for you that would light you up that would give you so much joy that you will be consistent so don't just focus on what people say you should be doing think what the hell do I want to be doing how do I want to move maybe you think I have no motivation I just need someone to tell me and then maybe signing up to a course with a can rehab specialist would be amazing just go and think for yourself at the beginning of the year and dream it up. Like, why shouldn't you want to put big goals into your diary? Why shouldn't you want to run the New York Marathon? Because you can. You could snail it. You could be the last one, but you can do it. And as I'm talking to you, I'm also talking to myself because I often restrict myself in thinking, oh, is it too much hassle? Will I not be consistent enough? I want to run a lot more than I have done for the last few months. And I have so many excuses always in my head of why I haven't done it. And I kind of think I know what I should be doing to be more consistent. And so this is going to be my own invitation to myself to dream big and think, what can I achieve? What can I do this year? Right. This was my own personal prep talk about exercise. So really thinking We've got a whole year ahead of us. Maybe you need to go to Zumba. Maybe you need to try something else. Maybe you need to rope your friends in. Maybe you need to repeat what's already worked. Um, yeah, I'm going to leave it there and I'm going to leave it for all of us to ponder. And I hope if you put a date in the diary for a big challenge or something, let me know and I'll share it with everyone on the podcast so that we can all cheer you on. Let's talk, oh no, before I talk about diet, something else to add about exercise. In a few days time, I'm releasing another mini series here on YouTube and also on the podcast about 
exercise nuggets. So I've put together 10 minute videos of how to move for certain symptoms, how to move for your joint aches, how to move when you're fatigued. I've got a meditation in there. I've got a recipe in there, how to move for some muscle strength to improve your bone density. And so I've put lots of short videos together for you, hoping that you can just do them throughout and you can stack them up to create bigger classes. And they'll go out next week. So keep your eyes peeled on another mini series. Now, let me talk about food and diet. Again, social media, I think, has its way of sometimes overcomplicating things. But most recently, I feel social media has started to simplify things too much for my liking. Partly it's what social media allows you. So on Instagram, you're only allowed 90 seconds for a reel. How much real good information can we share in 90 seconds? Content is then often being reduced to eat more protein or lift weights or add flax seeds, whatever it might be. And I feel these messages have become too simplistic because if all you're going to do is you're going to shine light on eating more protein, a lot of really important components are going to fall off your plate. And I always imagine sitting in a dark room. My mum told me this analogy years ago. Imagine you sit in a dark room and you put a big torch onto your head, onto your forehead, and you turn the torch on and whatever you focus on expands. And if all you're going to focus on is the protein, the protein, the protein, yes, of course, you're going to put that on every single plate and put that on every single meal. But my argument is, are you going to ensure you've still got enough fibers and vegetables and legumes and other things on that plate? And so it's important that we just don't focus and become too single focused when we talk about diet. When my diet was at its all time best, my mental health was at its all time worst. And so I would have happily cooked for Gordon Ramsay, Jamie Oliver. It was the time when Deliciously Ella and other people like that became really quite well known over 10 years ago on Instagram. And I cooked courgette spaghetti and I really just immersed myself into making energy balls for the kids. And I baked all of our cakes and I looked for sugar replacements and alternatives. Like my focus was on adding loads and loads and loads of vegetables. And really, it taught me how to become a better cook. But my mental health was still really, really impacted. I think for a long time, I thought that by eating a certain way, by restricting my diet, by adding loads of great foods, superfoods, I'm going to better my chances of survival. And yes, why wouldn't I do that? I would want to play with the best cards in my hand, right? If I'm a gambler, I would do my absolute best to try and win this battle. And so I think from a food perspective, I did get a lot of things right. But what I didn't realize for a long time is that it's not going to have the beneficial impact on my mental health. And so I kept looking for more and more things to add into my diet or remove from my diet to make it even better, where my diet was already really good. And so my mental health sort of wasn't looked after. I thought food is going to do all of that for me, but my anxiety levels were through the roof. And it took starting to go to yoga for me personally to re really feel, oh gosh, there's a bit of a relief. The anxiety of what might be 
or the worry and my thoughts that constantly went back to all of the awful things that happened to, to me and the family, all of that became a little bit more faded in my yoga practice. And so although my diet had been amazing, it took more for my mental health to heal and recover. Counseling came after yoga, hypnotherapy, cognitive behavior therapy, many, many other strategies um, came into my life to then recover, really. And I think it's really important to say, why do you think you want to change your diet if you want to make dietary changes? Because a lot of you I know are eating really well already. And can you just let it be and just enjoy the food for what it is and do your best 80% of the time? Or do you feel actually, Danny, listening to you, my diet is shocking. I've had no energy. We've got ready-made meals in the fridge four out of seven nights. I wouldn't even know where to start. And then I again think a single focused approach is not always the most helpful when it comes to the ingredients that are on your plate. If you want to overhaul your diet, I think the easiest way is to just focus on one meal. That can be your breakfast, your lunch or your dinner, or maybe just even your snacks. And just to try and improve on one of those areas over two months and you will not be able to be, you won't believe me now, but it can have such a huge, significant impact. If you just overhauled your breakfast, I guarantee you, you're going to feel very different over the next six weeks. We had the fantastic joy come into my Empowered Menopause After Cancer program last year. And as part of the program, we have this on uh, online platform where people can watch videos in their own time. And I've recorded loads of videos with experts and there's PDFs and articles in there. One of the videos talks about breakfasts and I show people hundreds of variations of using oats and using chia seeds and really getting away from that toast and butter or even, you know, avocado and butter, every uh, avocado and bread every single day sort of breakfast. And Joy said to me that she really overhauled how she was eating her breakfast. And I was so pleased that she did because by doing so and by being consistent, she's made a huge change. What's unrealistic is that you think you're going to overhaul your whole diet, breakfast, lunch, dinner and snacks and sustain it. It's not possible. If this is your thinking, I know you're going to set yourself up to fail. If you're going to start on someone else's food plan and cook all of their recipes for two whole weeks, there's so many things floating around, especially in January, beginning of the year. You're setting yourself up to fail. Please believe me. I've been doing this and working with people for the last 10 years. You won't be able to sustain it, especially when all of your new habits haven't been implemented for a long enough time. It takes a long time, doesn't it, to break a habit? And it takes a long time to build a habit. And so just by going and following someone else's food plan is hardly going to make a big difference. What's going to make a big difference is that you sustain it. So if you say every single day, I'm going to make myself a snack bowl, I'm not going to worry about breakfast, lunch and dinner. I'm going to make myself a snack bowl. And in the morning, whilst you have your cup of tea, you cut up some vegetables. I often put in peppers, carrots, some berries, a bit of apple, a bit of cheese. Sometimes if I'm feeling funky, a bit of sauerkraut, whatever you have. My rule with the kids is a minimum of six ingredients. So you could put in some nuts, um, I don't know, crumbles of feta cheese and some cherry tomatoes, whatever it is. 
For me, it's a minimum of six ingredients. And I have a really lovely little Tupperware. I make that in the morning. And when I do it without fail, when I'm being peckish and I go back into the kitchen for another cup of tea, I bring this Tupperware out and I just snack away. And for me, that is the loveliest way to add a whole array of fresh, raw, whole ingredients into my diet. Now, if you did that even four times, five times a week, for example, consistently over two months, imagine the amount, the mountain of fruit and vegetables and good things that you have added to your diet without even trying really hard. And if after that, by March, you're then going to start adding and thinking, okay, I'm just going to change two family dinners a, a week, the two least healthy ones. I'm going to just look at those. Which ones are they? And which two new family dinners could I replace them with? It might take a bit of tinkering because initially your family might be going, nah, not having that. <laughs> I'm cooking for three teenage daughters. I'm having a lot of that at the moment. But once you've found something that you can then repeat, these two new family dinners could also really improve how all of you are eating. And so I hope this explanation and this sort of analogy of where we can tackle our diet has given you a doable starting point that you can start actioning today without having to buy a new recipe book, without having to spend hours putting together a whole meal plan for a week and buy fancy ingredients that are expensive. Start with one thing. And if it is your snack bowls, then I'm really hoping you're going to share them with me. I've done those snack bowls for years. And to me, they're the ultimate and easiest way to adding really great things into my day, into my week, but also stopping me picking on other things. Because sometimes, unless I have something prepared, like this Tupperware with fresh um, whole ingredients, it's really easy to go and put your hand in the biscuit drawer or to have another uh, slice of toast and, you know, to eat the things that you might not choose to eat if you had prepared something. Um, also, another thing to add when it comes to diet, for years I've been running the Superfood Supper Club. And for those that are local to me, I you will remember I had hundreds and hundreds of people come into my kitchen and cook with me. And it was always the most beautiful experience. So people would come, I had the whole kitchen counter laid out with ingredients. I had recipes laid out and people would come and cook with me. So I wasn't demonstrating. I had the recipes there. We put people into little groups and people cooked together. And it was fabulous because, yes, people cooked with new ingredients. People shared their experiences. And it was a coming together and a preparing together. And there was something really beautiful about it. Of course, it was usually women, although I had a few groups of men, especially when it came to Veganuary and Lots of blokes wanted to learn about um, high protein packed vegan dishes, but usually it was a group of women. And what I've learned that by coming together, by sharing, by doing something together, it wasn't just about the food and the ingredients. It was also about sharing the wider, wider stories. And it was really beautiful. Every time we sat down then and we enjoyed and ate our food together, it was always so much fun. I remember this one Mother's Day. It was just after Mother's Day. And a couple of the women said, gosh, I don't think I could tell that to anyone in my family um, or dare my children. But on Mother's Day, what I really just needed was a day to myself. And so a lot of really raw and beautiful and honest conversations 
were happening when we brought women together after this sort of cooking experience together. And so this year, we're also launching a whole new initiative as menopause and cancer, a bit like the Macmillan Coffee Mornings. We're going to have menopause and cancer supper clubs. And I invite all of you to host them in your own communities with your own friends. We're going to give you some really healthy recipes, some of my old and well proven recipes for you to choose from. You could then get the ingredients. You're going to invite your friends, a bit like a Macmillan coffee morning. You can cook and prepare with them together. Some would just be energy balls. Others would be soups, whatever. Um, I'm going to give you a selection of my healthy recipes and you can do that with your friends. And it's a great way to raise awareness, but also raise a bit of money for us. It's a great way to share healthy recipes with your friends and to try out something new. And I really hope that you will all really enjoy our new menopause and cancer supper clubs. I, I wonder, is this a good name? If you don't think it's a great name, then please email me to hello at healthyholme.com with suggestions. There might be someone really clever out there, a PR person, and then tell me of a better name. Um, yeah, I think I've talked enough about diet. And I think this is really sort of your invitation to look and think, where can you start? And believe me, when you start making a little change somewhere, the whole wheel is going to start working for you and not against you. And just lastly, we must talk about stress because... Every single patient, person, human being I spoke to after a cancer diagnosis has experienced heightened stress levels and sometimes for extremely prolonged periods of time, me, myself included. And so it is also an invitation for us to think, what can we do? You might not be able to quit your job and hand in your notice. I know we will not be able to stop our children from arguing quite as much. We will not be able to not worry about scans coming up, appointments, being in this post-cancer survivorship landscape. There are many things we have no influence over and we can't control. And I know that's really, really difficult anyway. But what we can control is adding a 10-minute meditation or breath exercise or you listening to a YouTube recording of a mindfulness meditation once a day. And that is something I'm really, really passionate about because it's something I have done for years. And so try it. You don't need to not think about anything when you're meditating. You don't have to have a blank mind. That is a huge illusion. But how would you feel by just looking on YouTube today, finding a 10-minute meditation, listening to it, whether you sit on the sofa, whether you lie in your bed, whether you do it whilst you're on the train and just do that over a few days and see how you feel. Because we know it's so important to tap into that parasympathetic stress response. It can be incredibly powerful. It, we know reducing our overall stress levels even impacts the quality of our bones, of so many other diseases long and our long-term health. And so I really urge you, I know there is not much we can control, but you can do a 10-minute YouTube video meditation. And again, this is your invitation to think, is this something I can add? And I will argue, because I've done it myself for so long, that by adding those 10 minutes, you are buying yourself much more time feeling energetic. 
Um, this is definitely what happens to me. I tap into these meditations when I'm really tired, mid-afternoon. That is usually my sort of low dump feeling. And I always, always feel like I have regained some energy to get me through the rest of the day. And with that, I'm going to love and leave you. This was a longer uh, mini-series video, wasn't it? But our lifestyle bucket is so powerful. It is so great. It is so... I feel empowering that we can do something every single day. And I hope this video has given you agency that you do things your way. Don't let everyone on social media or things you read in the papers tell you how you should move, how you should eat. You go and find your way and I know you will smash it.